facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is Tuesday of Holy Week. So happy to be talking to you. It is April the 4th, 2023. And the number to call, toll free to talk to me on The Kale Clark Show is 888 914-9149. You can also email the show. It's great to hear from you. KLCALE at relevantradio.com is the address. And you can also tag me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C A L E Clark with an E. But once again, the phone number to call, 888-914-9149. My thanks again to the indomitable Harrison Schmidt former Apollo 17 astronaut, former U.S. Senator from New Mexico, who called in. I'd referenced him during the show. He was actually listening. It was unbelievable. He called in, and I so appreciated talking to him. What a gentleman. Uh, What a kind individual. And uh, Mr. Schmidt, uh, that was amazing. Thank you so much for calling in. Who's going to call tonight? I have no idea. We we don't know, but we do know this. It's going to be exciting. Most of all, I want you to call 888-914-914. Nine one four nine. So much to talk about today. We got so much to get to, and I can't wait to jump in. Hey, it's, I guess you could say it's the Masters Week in the Masters Week. I hate when they do this. I hate when the Masters Tournament happens during Holy Week. It, it, it happens every once in a while. It's happening again this week. Ah, you're kind of torn as a fan. But priorities, priorities. I will tell you, though, later in the show, a great story about mistaken identity at the Masters, how a good deed got rewarded. You are not going to want to miss this. But we know, obviously, during Holy Week, uh, Peter uh, is right at the forefront of things, along with Judas Iscariot. We'll talk about that in just a second. But Peter failed to do the right thing. He made a big mistake in front of the Master, but later he fixed it. He fixed it with Jesus's help. And let's let's talk about that right now. In fact, the gospel reading for today, for Mass, for this Tuesday of Holy Week, comes to us from John chapter 13. And we'll have much more to say about John 13 later on. This is kind of John's take on the Last Supper. He probably knows what's in the other gospels. He doesn't get so much into the institution of the Eucharist, but he does talk about the foot-washing scene, the institution of the priesthood. We're going to talk about that on the Kale Clark Show on Holy Thursday, just a couple days from now. So we'll leave that for then. But let me just read this to you. This is from John chapter 13, the selection for the gospel today at Mass. It says, Reclining at table with his disciples, Jesus was deeply troubled and testified, Amen, amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another at a loss as to whom he meant. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. Now, just to interject for one second here, the way that people would dine uh, in the first century at this time, they sort of would dine in sort of a reclined fashion. You kind of be, I don't know, it might be a cushion there, but you're sort of propped up on your elbow. The table's very low. It's very, very low. And I had to laugh when I went to Nazareth Village in the Holy Land, which is kind of a recreation of the town of Nazareth. It's pretty cool, but they had some stuff there that wasn't exactly historical, such as wooden tables and chairs that allegedly Jesus and Joseph would have made, stuff like this when they were carpenters. The tables that they had were more like stone tables, and they were very, very low to the ground. And so people would recline at dinner. So the place of honor is you're kind of in the front row by the table. And if you're kind of back behind, you know, that's 
this is what Jesus says when he says, you're invited to a, to a feast. Don't take the highest place, take the lowest place. And then you can be called up. That's cool. That's uh, an honor for you to be asked to move back. Well, that's kind of a dishonor. You don't want that. So uh, be humble and you'll get called up if necessary. But John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's very, very close to the Lord. He is kind of reclining next to him. He's got the place of honor and he's able to pass messages to Jesus. So let's get back to the text now. It says, so Simon Peter nodded to him to find out whom he meant. Like, please, please, get him, get him to say. He leaned back against Jesus' chest and said to him, Master, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I hand the morsel after I've dipped it. So he dipped the morsel. I don't know whether it was olive oil or what the dipping sauce was, but he took it and handed it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. After Judas took the morsel, Satan entered him. So Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, none of those reclining at table realized why he had said this to him. Some thought that since Judas kept the money bag, Jesus had told him, buy what we need for the feast or to give something to the poor. So Judas took the morsel and left at once, and it was night. That is such an ominous phrase by John, and it was night. Judas has completely given into the darkness. There's a demonic force. Obviously, he's kind of possessed at that point. And the darkness outside kind of mirrors the darkness in his heart and what's about to happen. It's so troubling. Now, if you want more on exactly who Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, was, you've got to tune into today's episode of The Faith Explained, because I just started a two-part, very brief mini-series called Hey Judas. And yes, that is a bit of a play on words, if you will, pun based on the Beatles song Hey Jude, because really the name Jude is Judas. Obviously, nobody wants to be called Judas. They kind of went, oh, just call me Jude from that point on. Like the other Jude, the apostle, his name was really Judas too. But who was Judas Iscariot? Where did he come from? Why did Jesus choose him? What does the Bible have to say about him? Get into all those questions. You can check out the podcast for the Faith Explained show that we just had today. You can get it at the Relevant Radio app and at relevantradio.com. Part two is going to be tomorrow. We're going to talk about Judas outside the Bible and the very infamous, quote-unquote, Gospel of Judas that you might have heard about. It's always in the news during Holy Week. We'll get you up to speed on that. We'll also talk about what may or may not have happened to him in the afterlife. So that's our little mini-series on the Faith Explained this week. Hey, Judas. So check that out. Now, I don't want to talk too much more about him because I really want to get into what Peter has to do with. Um, and he, he made some pretty serious mistakes like Judas did as well. The difference is Peter came back. He did not give up. He didn't fall into despair, as Judas did, but 888 Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let's get back to today's gospel. After Judas leaves, this is what it says. Let's pick up John 13. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and as I told the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say it to you. Simon Peter said to him, Master, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, though you will follow later. Peter said to him, Master, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Amen, amen, I say to you, the cock will not crow before you deny me three 
times. So we have the bravado of Peter. He, he says he's ready to lay down his life for Jesus, but of course we know what happens. He, deny, he does deny him three times very famously. And then Jesus restores him after the resurrection in that famous scene on the beach over a charcoal fire, the same kind of fire that Peter denies Jesus over. It's the only time, only two times that that word is used, charcoal fire in the New Testament. It's in John's Gospel when Peter denies him, the fire in the courtyard of the high priest, and when Jesus restores them as they're cooking breakfast on the shores of Lake Galilee. So in today's Lenten devotional entry from Sister Teresa Alethea Noble, one of the daughters of St. Paul, she's a convert to Catholicism from atheism in her Remember Your Death, Lenten devotional, Memento Mori. She has an entry for today, and it's it's really well done. And she talks about how, really, this whole idea of remember your death, Memento Mori, really shines through in this particular passage because she says, quote, Peter's denial of Jesus is firmly rooted in an intense fear of death. The strong hours he had said hours before, I will lay down my life for you, they shatter in an instant, replaced with sheer existential terror. And so, obviously, the devil was was just having a field day laughing at this, because this is what the scripture says, that the devil put fear of death into people's hearts, and and, and this is one of the reasons why people capitulate to to sin. And so, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing to fear death. It is very human, and, and she talks about Blessed James Alberione, who is the founder of the Daughters of St. Paul, uh, he once wrote this. He said, quote, death is repugnant to nature. Thus, nature rebels at the thought of it. We should not be surprised at this. It's true be- because this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I-, I once saw a book about sin, and it was called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a breviary of sin. Sin ought not to be, death ought not to be as Jesus says in one place in, in, in the gospel, an enemy did this. The enemy is the one who tricked humanity into falling for sin and ultimately falling for death because the wages of sin is death, according to St. Paul. But Blessed James Alberioni said this as well. He said, Our divine Savior himself, who became like us in all but sin, felt this repugnance also. End of quote. So this idea of, I, I don't want to die. If there's another way, let's do it. And this is really what the Garden of Gethsemane is all about. He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew 26, 39. But Jesus goes way, way, way beyond Peter's attitude because Jesus is afraid, just as Peter is afraid in, in, in the courtyard of the high priest. He's afraid he'll be known as one of Jesus' followers. He's afraid that the same thing that's happening to Jesus will happen to him. He's going to get killed kind of loses his nerve, but Jesus never loses his nerve. He concludes with an act of trust in the Father. He says, not as I will, but as you will. So Sister Teresa says that really Jesus is the model for what we should do whenever we feel like this, whenever we have a fear of death, that we can still trust. And in fact, if Peter had been really, really trusting in the Lord, if he had really been practicing abandonment, abandonment of everything into the arms of Jesus, Jesus, I trust in you. If he had actually done that, he could have admitted his allegiance to Jesus in the courtyard. He, he, he would have done it, but he, he wasn't really abandoned. And so 
At that point, Peter was afraid of death. But what he should have been afraid of was something else entirely, something else entirely, something far more insidious. And this is, uh, this is amazing, too. So she always gives it in her little devotional a little quote from a saint at the end of her little meditation on the scriptural reading. And she, she just gave a dynamite quote in today's entry from the little flower, St. Therese of Lisieux, or St. Therese of Lisieux, as some call her. But uh, th this is amazing. This, this is an incredible quote. I really want you to listen to this. This is St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. Incredible. She says, quote, Later on, when the way of perfection was opened out before me, I realized that in order to become a saint, one must suffer much. Always seek the most perfect path and forget oneself. So, by the way, this, this quote comes from her famous story of a soul, which was written at the behest of uh, the nuns, uh, Carmelite nun, when she died at the young age of, of 24 years old of tuberculosis, she was encouraged, in fact, commanded to write down her, her spiritual autobiography. And that's, that's such, been such a gift to the church and to the world. And this idea of forgetting yourself, that's what abandonment is all about. And so she goes on to say this, this is, this is wild. This is St. Therese of Lisieux. Listen to this, quote, I also understood that there are many degrees of holiness and that each soul is free to respond to the calls of our Lord, to do a great deal or little for his love. In a word, to choose among the sacrifices he asks. That's a, that's a pretty wild thought, this idea that you are free to respond. Now, God calls all of us to become saints. That's what he wants for us, to become canonizable saints. He wants us to get to heaven. His plan for us is holiness, to become the best version of ourselves. But St. Therese says that you've got a choice. You can respond to his call or not. And it's not that you won't be a Catholic or you won't be a friend of God, but it's kind of up to you how far you want to go. Do you want to become a great saint or not? What do you really want in life? So that's, that's a great question to ponder during this Holy Week. And so uh, obviously she, she went through a spiritual journey. St. Therese was kind of selfish as a young person, had this big experience on Christmas morning where she kind of realized that. You know this if you've read the book. But th this is what she says. She goes on to say, quote, Also, as in the days of my childhood, I cried out, My God, I choose everything. I will not be a saint by halves. I am not afraid of suffering for you. I only fear one thing, and that is to do my own will. That, that's an incredible quote. I only fear one thing, and that is to do my own will. Accept the offering of my will, she continues, for I choose all that you will. That's, that's really profound. It's really profound. So her, her only fear is not what might happen to her for following Jesus or what if I abandoned myself into Jesus and somehow things don't work out well at a human level. What's going to happen? And that's kind of what Peter was thinking prior to Easter, prior to the resurrection. And so she says, really, my fear is none of those things. My fear is doing my own will. Because we want to pray, obviously, as we do in the Lord's Prayer in the Our Father, thy will be done. And so what we should most fear is, is not doing God's will in our lives. So she says, look, I'm going to give you my will. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm just going to trust that whatever happens, it's, it's your will, and I'm going to accept it. And then she talks about, she goes on to talk about a dream that she has in which she kind of 
it's kind of, it's kind of a bizarre dream in some way. She sees these demons, these little demons, and and at first they look frightening, and then she realizes that they're actually terrified of her, and they actually try to hide from her. And the point of all this was, she says that, look, if you're a soul that's in a state of grace, you have nothing to fear from the enemy. You have nothing to fear from the devil. He's a coward, and he's actually going to run away, even from the gaze of a little child. And so many saints have said something like that. Saint Teresa of Avila, another Saint Teresa. <laughs> She said that she would sometimes see demons. She was given to be able to see demons. They were terrified of her. She realized that. They kind of looked scary, but they were actually afraid of her because she was with our Lord. Our Lord was living inside of her in a state of grace, in her, through her. And that, that, scared, them. that scared them because they are clearly not doing the will of God. So, so once Peter became abandoned like that after Easter, after he got restored, uh, to his position by Jesus on the beach, on the shore of the Seas of Galilee, that he was able to do what he wasn't able to do the night of Jesus' arrest. That's why Jesus said, you're not going to be able to do this now, you're not going to be able to follow me now, but you will later. You will be able to later, because I'm going to give you the strength. And so we have to understand that that is true for us as well in the Catholic life. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Got to get out and take a quick break right now, but we'll be right back with an incredible story about mistaken identity and a good deed at the Masters, plus our staff picks for this week's tournament. I don't know if you want to take it to Vegas, but you're definitely going to want to join us on the other side of the break. 888-914-9149. Welcome, friends, as Relevant Radio so proudly presents The Kale Clark Show. <laughs> well, as you know, that's not The Kale Clark Show theme. That is the theme for the Masters. The actual title of that song is Augusta by Dave Loggins. No relation to Kenny Loggins of Danger Zone fame, I don't think. But nonetheless, it's an iconic song for an iconic time. It is Masters Week, and like I said, it falls in the Masters Week and Holy Week this year, as it sometimes does. So the final round of the Masters this Sunday is also Easter Sunday. It's going to be tough navigating family gatherings, navigating the Masters. I may just have to swear everyone to secrecy. Don't tell me who's winning. Record it, PVR it, watch it later. But uh, it, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year. And here's a, an incredibly heartwarming story for you. Have you heard about the great Masters mix-up that happened this year. Yep. An invitation to play in the Masters went to the wrong guy because he had the same name as a PGA Tour golfer. ESPN's Gene Wojciechowski tells the story on an episode of Featured from SportsCenter. Here's a little clip where Gene talks about 38-year-old Scott Scott Stallings, PGA Tour pro, about the official Masters invite that he was waiting for. So you're going to go to the Masters, and then the next sort of cool thing in that process normally is what? You get your invitation. (laughs) Players began receiving their invitations to Augusta National late last year during the holiday season. Meanwhile, Stallings, a longtime tour pro, waited 
and waited and waited. And I was convinced just the whole time that my wife had it. She goes, I promise on our children, I do not have this thing that you're looking for. I do not have the invitation. Where in the world is this thing? <laughs> I started to learn about Scott Stallings probably about four or five years ago. Oh my goodness, storybook. Stallings the winner at the Greenbrier Classic. When I found out that we share a name, I became an instant follower. My name's Scott Stallings and I am a realtor with the Atlanta Fine Homes Sotheby's International. I'm a 25 handicap. Oh, it's in the water. It was New Year's Eve. My uh, wife and I decided to come down to St. Simons to our uh, vacation rental home. I walk up to the front of the condo, Scott's unpacking the car, and I see this UPS envelope. And I'm like, what's this? So it says Scott Stallings, it's our address. So I rip it open and I pull out the green master's envelope. So I yelled to Scott, we have tickets to the master's. It has been a dream of ours to be able to go to the Masters. He comes running in, and by this time I'd already read it, and I realized it was not tickets to the Masters. It was an invitation to play at the Masters. I started panicking. I remember my heart was racing. I remember thinking, this is not for us. This is not for us. This is not for us. <laughs> well, she, she was right, absolutely. And by the way, Scott Stallings, the realtor, and Scott Stallings, the PGA Tour golfer, they both are married to women named Jennifer. Can you believe that? But And they both play golf, but uh, uh, the other Scott Stallings, the realtor, I don't know who the other one really is, but uh, he's a, a 25 handicap. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be invited to play in the Masters. He knew it wasn't for them. Here's when he talks about Scott Stallings, the realtor, about doing the right thing and trying to get the Masters invite to the real <laughs> golfer, Scott Stallings. Check this out. I went on Instagram and I found Scott Stallings, the golfer. I sent Scott Stallings a direct message privately saying, we're real people, this is real. <laughs> so we took pictures of everything and we sent it to him and we said, we really do have your invitation to the Masters. The first thing he said, please read, this is not a joke. <laughs> and I found my wife and I was like, you will not believe this. Soon, the master's invitation was on its way to its rightful owner. And what's great about this story is that it actually has a very, very satisfying ending. Check this out. And in this case, no good deed goes unrewarded. We got him some practice round tickets. We do a big dinner and invite him over there. We'll have a chance to spend some time at the Masters a couple days. Very cool, happy ending. It meant a lot more to me than I thought it did. The lesson that we've found is it pays off just doing the right thing. It came back to us tenfold. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's always a good time to do the right thing. Hey, maybe you've got a story about a time where you did a good deed and got rewarded for it. You know that old saying, no good deed goes unpunished? Well, sometimes good deeds get rewarded. And like Scott Stallings, the realtor, said, this one got rewarded a hundredfold. 
The other Scott Stallings, the golfer, is inviting him to a practice round. They're going to have dinner together at the Masters. How cool is that? How cool is that? Well, what's your story about a good deed that you've done that got rewarded? 888-914-9149. I'd love to hear about it. 888-914-9149. But it's time for our Masters picks. So maybe we can cue the music again, Jim, and play that Augusta song by Dave Loggins and... Can we bring Patrick Alog into the studio? I know he's working the phones right now, but can he come in real quick? We'll get him to give his picks first, and then he can run back. Can you hear me, Patrick? Come on in. Okay, okay, sounds good. All right, well, this is going to be a great tournament, as you know. Invitation only, or got to be in the world rankings. You've got to win a tournament in the previous year to get in. That's how Scott Stallings got in. You know, I'm going to start as we're waiting for Patrick. I'm going to give my picks right now. Uh, my pick for the winner. I am predicting, and then maybe this is, maybe the odds of this aren't great, but he is really hot right now. I think you got to be hot going into the Masters to win. Scotty Scheffler. Yep, last year's winner, first time winner. I'm picking him to go back to back. Yeah, he's coming in hot. He won the Waste Management Open, dramatic fashion. He's playing well. He's sharp. Did well in the match play as well. I think he's going to pull it off. My dark horse pick. So we're going to pick a winner, and just for fun, we're going to have a dark horse pick as well. My dark horse pick is the Canadian, my fellow Canadian, Corey Connors. Last week he won the Valero Texas Open. Second time he's won that tournament. Great ball striker. One of the best iron players on planet Earth. And, and he was on the front page of the leaderboard at last year's Masters. He's my dark horse pick to get it done. Patrick Alog, who are you going with? I saw something on Facebook maybe a couple weeks ago. Jordan Spieth won an Easter Sunday, a tournament in 2021. He won an Easter Sunday, another tournament in 2022. Why not make it three in a row? Jordan Spieth oh, will win on Easter Sunday for the third year in a row, this time at the Masters. He'll get his second green jacket. Wow, the trifecta. The Easter Sunday trifecta. Well, who's your dark horse pick? Yeah, you know, I was going through the list of players, and I'm like, eh, he's a little too high for a dark horse pick. And then I saw, I was like, oh, Justin Rose. He was in contention a couple years ago. He won That's a right. tournament earlier this year. I know it's you know the tail end of his you know playing career in terms of a high end, but you never know. So I'm going with Justin Rose from England. Justin Rose as Patrick Alog's dark horse. So maybe a rose will bloom among the azaleas of Augusta uh. National. Uh, if Jim Jim Nance, if you're listening, you can steal that line on Sunday if that in fact happens. Yeah, Justin Rose lost a playoff to Sergio Garcia a couple years ago. So. I'm sure that still sticks in his craw. And producer Jim is going deep into his bag for his picks. What do, what do you say? Well, since I know absolutely nothing about <laughs> golf. <laughs> you might have the, the, the best Moore. picks of all of us. Taylor Moore. Taylor Moore. Who okay. is a golfer at the Masters. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the field. My dark horse. Another golfer at the Masters. Seamus Power. Seamus Power. Good Irish name. And as if Taylor Moore... Wasn't enough of a dark horse. Seamus Power. Hey, well, how about that? We, they, Kale, you know they, they, they both won tournaments in the past year, so they have had good results. So, yeah, so don't 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 sleep on these guys. Don't sleep on these guys. And Taylor and Seamus, if you're listening, that's even more fuel for the fire that uh, maybe Patrick and I didn't believe in you enough to pick you, but Jim did. Jim did. And Patrick, I thought you were going to go with Siwoo Kim again because you, you seem to pick him for everything every year, but uh, <laughs> thank you for your restraint there. I, I was actually going to. I always go with Morikawa as well, but uh, I, I now now watch he'll win it. He, he's a great ball striker as well. But we'll see what happens. It's always an exciting tournament for those who love golf and uh, the beauty of nature, the beauty of Augusta National. Hope to get there one day. 
you ever been there, let me know what it's like. I hear it's very undulating. You don't see the elevation it, changes uh, Kale, on TV at home. I, I, actually, I actually have been there, um, but this is off-season, and it was literally, and it was, you, you can't really go inside, but there's one sign that says Augusta National Golf Club. Yeah, that's right. You tried to get in, and uh, if the invitation had come to you, if you were the, the other Scott Stallings, you probably would have tried to sneak onto the course. I know you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I remember you, you texted me a picture front from from that sign, and uh, and I appreciated that. You, you, you're close to holy ground, my friend. I tell you, I tell you, good job. And uh, yeah, that's that's my dream one day to take in the Masters and maybe get a pimento cheese sandwich. Apparently, the the concession prices are you know they're still very reasonable as, as they were back in the 50s and 60s. How about that? But uh, tickets are not cheap. I can say that. That is for sure. All right. So that's our Masters preview. Not going to be able to do it tomorrow. We had to get it in today. You know, tomorrow is the par three contest. Obviously, the Masters, it's always fun. Uh, usually, players bring their kids to caddy on the par three course there. It's always a good time. There's always a few holes in one. And the actual tournament gets going on Thursday. But we could not preview it tomorrow because tomorrow I'll be joined by another very special guest, Bishop Donald Hying of Madison, Wisconsin, is going to be joining me live on the Kale Clark Show tomorrow night. Can't wait for that. All right, it's time to go to the phones right now. If you have a call for me, you can do this. Call one 914 Nine one four nine. We're going to go to the phones right now. We're going to go to Warrington, Virginia, to Santa. Hi, Santa. Are you there? Santa, are you there? Oh, Santa. No. Oh, she. Maybe she's uh, stepped away. Maybe not. Okay. Well, Santa, if you if you if you come back, we'll we'll take your call. But let's now go to Robert in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hi, Robert. Hi, uh, Kyle. Uh, the yeah, what I was talking with was with Peter first, and then I'd like to talk to something about the Masters tournament too. Oh, sure, yeah. Since I've been watching, since I've been watching it for sixty years, uh, I don't know how old you are, but I've been watching it for that amount of time. Anyway, wow. Peter, Peter, when Christ said, "Who am I?" and Peter said, "You are Christ," and then Christ said, um, "This information came from the Holy Spirit." The Holy, uh, this is. This is uh, not from strictly from you, and um, of course, yeah, I'm uh, going to make you the cornerstone, the pillar of the rock of my church. Mm-hmm. What, what you know, Peter? Peter was a uh, what? A fisherman, stinky, smelly, illiterate person <laughs> his entire life. Okay, and Christ is is uh, touching him, and I, I think I sort of have a feeling why Christ would do that because uh, Peter represents a lot of us in the world here. That's number one. But um, the mm-hmm. other thing is it also represents a lot of us with our mental ability to uh, accept God. So do you, do you think Peter actually got, if he got touched by the Holy Spirit, once you're touched by God, doesn't that give you a little more impetus to not do what he did later on? So, um, uh, you know, Elaborate on that a little bit for me. Yeah, well, that's 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 a great point. I do have some thoughts on that, Robert. Appreciate that. But real quick, what, what's your what's your point about the Masters? I want to make sure you get in that. Uh, get Masters, I've been watching it for a long time too. Um, not good stuff. Uh, the Masters has, has been a very um, a bigoted uh, course uh, for many, many, many years. And Tiger Woods, of course, was was just barely allowed to come into that area there. And um, even though golf is a fantastic individual, mental, physical, and sometimes religious sport, okay, the, the people there are, are of course, very um, 
proper etiquette and everything at all times. But let's not forget where that whole area is and where it comes from. And also let's not forget that uh, uh, a lot of people are not invited there. But uh, my, my pick is Dustin uh, Johnson, DJ. Oh, okay. And then I, for, I forgot the little guy that's 140 pounds that looks like he can't hit it farther than, uh, you know, 200 yards. Justin Thomas. What is his name again? What is his name? Are you thinking about Justin Thomas? Justin Thomas, JT. JT. That yeah, guy, he, he can that guy, if he gets going, I've seen him on television. I've seen his eyes. It's just like Tiger. It's uh, just like Sam Sneed. I don't know if you know who Sam Sneed is. I do, I do, I do of course. Yeah. Sam Sneed to tell everybody, please don't talk to me. This is my business. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to interrupt here. Okay. Wow. Well, yeah. Sam Sneed is, is my hero. I have a, one of his books on uh, learning how to golf, but he didn't tell me the one thing that is really essential in your, uh, putting your hands on the, on the club. And, and for that, I, I take offense to him, but I learned that later on. <laughs> and, uh, my handicap, uh, the last time I had a handicap, was probably 10 or 11 or something like that. So I, well, uh, and, and on a good day, I could probably do scratch. So, well, well, and wow. that would be a real wow. good day for me. So. I, I, can, I can only aspire to that, Robert. Hey, Robert, thank, thank you so much for the call from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I want to react to some of the things that you said. Yeah, obviously the fundamentals, right? It's, it's true in golf. It's true in the faith as well. It starts with the grip. Got to get a good grip on the faith. You got to start with the basics and work our ways. Up from there, uh, just want to respond just real quickly with respect to the Masters. Yeah, JT's a good pick, obviously. He's a great player. He's won a PGA Championship. Um, he could easily pull it off. And yeah, there's, there's no question that there has been in the past. Certainly, the Masters has been touched by, by racism throughout the generations. And uh, for a long time, African-Americans were not allowed to play Augusta National. And that, that has changed, obviously. And... Um, Condoleezza Rice is now a member of Augusta National. She's uh, one of the first women to be uh, a member and, and a woman of color as well. And, of course, Tiger Woods has talked about that a lot growing up in the game of golf, about some of the discrimination that, that he faced uh, as an African-American and just kind of feeling the stares of people. And, and he, he always talked about when he won the Masters for the first time in 1997 in record-breaking fashion, he remembered Lee Elder uh, the first uh, African-American to play in the Masters, and, and, and he had to go through a lot to, to get to that point. And, and so uh, very salient points there, Robert. But it was with respect to Peter, um, yeah, there, there's, there's no doubt, as Jesus says in Matthew 16, when he gave the right answer, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers correctly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So God, God the Father, who is pure spirit, obviously the Holy Spirit, clearly pure spirit, reveals this to Peter. And so, and of course, Jesus didn't always have a body, but he took one on at the incarnation for sure, the eternal word. And so this is, this is important, that this didn't come from Peter's natural intelligence. He didn't figure this out on his own. God revealed it to him. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And there's no question Peter is the rock. Um, even many Protestant scholars admit that. Uh, it's not the confession of faith that Peter makes. It is Peter himself who is the, the, the cornerstone. And why Peter? And he clearly was a guy who had feet of clay. And he was made strong. He was made strong, became that rock. That clay became very solid rock, of course, after the resurrection. 
after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit infused him with that fortitude and that abandonment that he didn't have before, and he was able to actually go to the cross. And he has to be crucified, obviously, upside down, because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord, and his tomb is underneath St. Peter's in, in Rome, in the Vatican, and, and they, they found it. They found, the, through underground explorations, they actually found the bones of the Apostle Peter. And that is 100% legit. I totally believe it. Uh, they built that church there for a reason. And so, in terms of him being a fisherman, there, there is sort of this, I would say, there's this view that's out there that the apostles were a bunch of country bumpkins, as you said, smelly fishermen. Well, you know, they, they ran some pretty extensive businesses. These are really like small businesses that employed other people, like the Zebedee and Sons Fishing Company. I don't know if that's what it was called, but James and John, their, their father, they became uh, disciples as well. They had hired people. They, there were people working for them. This was a pretty good-sized business. They kind of knew what they were doing. They weren't knuckleheads, let's put it that way. And when, when, when it says in the Acts of the Apostles, they see the boldness of Peter and John as they're preaching after the resurrection, and it says that they, even though they were unschooled men, it doesn't mean that they were knuckleheads. It doesn't mean that they were idiots. It just simply means that they weren't trained rabbis. That's all that meant. They didn't go to rabbinical school. And it says they took note that they had been with Jesus. Why were they so smart? Well, one reason is they hung out a lot with Jesus. That'll make anybody a lot smarter and a lot better. And they learned so much from the master. They, they got the ultimate education with Jesus. And so, so again, like they would have, growing up, they would have gone to the synagogue. They would have been very familiar with the scriptures. They, they, they knew their stuff to some extent. Um, they're like really, they were probably like what we should, have, should be like as lay people and that we should really know the faith really well. And our goal, as, as St. Jose Maria talked about, he said, hey, I want you to be when it comes to the faith, like Jesus in the temple as a young man disputing with the teachers, like he knows his stuff, he knows what's going on. But yet, when it comes to your professional work, be like Jesus in the carpentry shop and, and be a really great professional as well and try to be awesome at everything. That's that's the goal. But but yeah, they knew their faith. They knew their faith. They just weren't trained rabbis. So they, they did know, and they were pretty, I think, well-trained, as well-trained as one could expect them to be. But really good questions from Robert. Really appreciate that. And if you're still on the line... Santa, I see you've made it back. Uh, we'll get to you right after the break. And anybody else who wants to call in, there's a couple lines open. You can do it right now. 888-914-9149. Be right back on The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. This is The K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio. All right, it's the last train home. It's the last stretch, the home stretch on The K.O. Clark Show for this beautiful Tuesday, and you can call in right now, 888-914-9149. I forgot the last number for a second there. I was thinking about something else. 888-914-9149. And Santa is back on the line. We got disconnected somehow. Hi, Santa in Warrington, Virginia. How are you doing? Great. How are you doing? I am fine. I'm fine. What's what's on your mind? Great. Quick question. Um, I've always wondered, and I asked a few people, but nobody gave me a straight answer. Um, I grew up a Chaldean Catholic church oh, okay. um, in Iraq, and we have a church here, of course, on the West Coast and in Michigan. But um, I always wondered, why is it in the Chaldean church, Palm Sunday is a big, huge celebration. I mean, I remember growing up, we even got two new outfits. One was for Easter and one for um, Palm Sunday. 
And we had a big procession with all the palms, and it was like welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem. And everybody was very in a good, happy mood. And then um, then we have Holy Thursday, and then Good Friday is the one with the Passion mm. of Christ. And here I felt like you go, uh, we're hoping we're celebrating um, Easter Sunday, and then I go, you know, to our church here in Virginia. There isn't that many uh, Chaldean churches here. Um, and then, um, which I'm very involved in anyway, we love it. My kids went to Catholic schools and all. And um, But then it always surprised me, why is it a sad day for Sunday when, you know, that was my question to you today. Wow. Well, that, uh, you know, I have to tell you, Santa, first of all, um, I would love to experience a Chaldean liturgy at some point in my life. I've only been to one or two Eastern Rite liturgies in my in my life, but I've I found them to be very meaningful and uh, and very powerful. And there's so many different rites in the Catholic Church. There's more than one right way to do it. Uh, for a tortured pun there, but but of course there are all the Eastern rites. Uh, most Catholics obviously are Latin Rite Catholics or Roman Rite Catholics, and th- that's a really interesting point. That for you guys on Palm Sunday it was kind of a joyous day. Obviously focusing more on the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and, and no passion reading. Is, did I hear you correctly? There's no passion reading? Mm-mm. It's just um, with Jesus coming to Jerusalem on a donkey mm-hmm. and everybody celebrating and welcoming him and very happy and um, excited that he's back to Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah and, and, um, and I have to... And that's a good point. Obviously, uh, in, in the Roman rite, there is, at the blessing of the palms, there is the reading from the gospel with respect to the triumphal entry. But uh, but then, obviously, the, there is, of course, the reading of the Passion from one of the gospels. Now, I'm not quite sure. I've always wondered that myself. And, and unfortunately, I don't know the answer at the moment. I think it's a good spur for me to try to look this up. Why is it that the Passion is read both on Palm Sunday, of course, also on Good Friday, and it's from a different gospel, clearly. Uh, John's gospel is used. But I've always wondered that, too. Why, why, why is it? Perhaps it's because some don't attend on Good Friday. It's, um, it's not a holy day of obligation, but, but peop- most people do go to uh, Good Friday service. It's the one day of the year where there is no Mass, but there is a service. And you say, what's the difference? Well, Mass is what God does for us. Service is something we do for God. That's one simplistic way to, to put it. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that, that in the Eastern Rites and in, in, the, in the Chaldean Rite, uh, certainly there is a, a bigger deal made about Palm Sunday in terms of focusing on the joy aspect. I think, I think that's really intriguing. And, and I thank you for, for calling in to, to, tell, to tell me about that, Santa. I really appreciate that. And may God bless you on this Holy Week and your family as you celebrate. And let's, is Robert still there? Yeah, Robert in Chicago is on line one. Hi, Robert. Hello, Kale. I uh, love the show. I uh, just had a, a short story on uh, uh, No Good Deed Goes Unpunished. Sure. I've been going to a Catholic men's ministry for many years, and uh, they had a new uh, initiative, and I, I got all excited and made a way too big uh, contribution, and I was wondering, how am I going to tell my wife about this? <laughs> and uh, Anyway, uh, within literally within a week or two, some really unusual things happened at work, and we got like five times the amount of the, this very large donation. Wow. So I got enough to pay the taxes and everything worked out. 
and uh, never got around to telling my wife, which was not the best thing to do. But, uh, <laughs> I guess she knows now if she's listening. But well, yeah, she's actually in a restaurant, and I'm I'm just walking in there in a second, oh. so she doesn't <laughs> okay. know. So don't say anything. Okay, I won't tell her. And, I promise. Uh, but it was, uh, it was it's happened before on donations, but never that quickly. It was something that's never happened in thirty years before or after. It was just totally unusual, and and uh, you know I think it was kind of related to doing a good thing. Yeah, well, that's a great story. That's super encouraging. And and I'm sure that many listeners can relate. You think, man, you made this generous gift. And uh, obviously on Relevant Radio, we have these quarterly pledge drives. And, and anybody can give at any time, of course, by going to the website, relevantradio.com, and making a tax-deductible donation. But uh, obviously we really focus on that during our quarterly pledge drives. And without you guys, we wouldn't be on the air. And we get some amazingly generous gifts from people. And I'm sure many people have thought, oh, did I go too far? Did I give too much? I just bust the budget. But I think one thing is true, that God can never be outdone in generosity. And that's a great example. Your story is a great example of that, that you got more than, than what you bargained for back. And and uh, he remembered and he looked after you. So that, that's a great story. Thank you for calling in, Robert. And God bless you this holy week. And hey, enjoy your dinner. And uh my lips are sealed. I will not tell your wife about what you did, <laughs> but uh, that's 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 a wonderful story. Hey, one thing I forgot to say to to a caller who called in earlier asking about Peter, and I I realized I'd forgotten uh, to kind of comment on. He, he was sort of asking why Peter, given how fallible he was, why in the world would Jesus pick him out of the twelve to be the pope, to be the rock? Well, G.K. Chesterton, his book Heretics, and Chesterton was such a quotable guy convert to Catholicism from the Anglican Church. And he had so many great one-liners. He would have been fantastic on Twitter were he alive today. But he, he was once commenting on this in his book, Heretics, about why the choice of Peter. Here's what he said, quote, When Christ, at a symbolic moment, was establishing his great society, he chose for its cornerstone neither the brilliant Paul nor the mystic John, but a shuffler, a snob, a coward, in a word, a man. And upon this rock he has built his church, and the gates of hell have not prevailed against it. All the empires and all the kingdoms have failed because of this inherent and continual weakness, that they were founded by strong men and upon strong men. But this one thing, the historic Christian church, was founded on a weak man. And for that reason, it is indestructible, for no chain is stronger than its weakest link. End of quote. Yeah, you could certainly say that Peter was the rock, but he was also the weakest link, and, and that's why it works. That's why it works, because the power is from God. As St. Paul said in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he wrote, My grace is, this is what God told him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We've all had that experience too. We're just kind of at the end of our own strength, our own wisdom, our own understanding. We can't make it work. We turn things over to God and somehow it works out. We just abandon ourselves more and more. And we started off uh, with a little story from Peter and how he really didn't do that. He was afraid. He was protective. He, he didn't want to trust himself to God. I don't know Jesus. He actually cursed him out. That's what the text tells us. He cursed him out. And then of course he catches the eye of the Lord who's on trial the home of the high priest, and he stares at him. I mean, imagine that look from, from Jesus. Man, I, 
I don't think it was an I told you so look, but it was probably a look mi mixed with sadness and, but yet somehow hope. And, and, and Peter didn't lose hope for whatever reason, maybe something he saw in the glance of Jesus. That's what gave him the hope to carry on even after he made such a terrible, terrible mistake. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope of Holy Week. And this is why it's such an important week for us to remember uh, what Christ has done for us and what he did for Peter, he wants to do for you and for me. He wants us to become a saint. And if you want it to happen, if you want it to happen as well, if you put his will above yours, it can happen and it will happen. Believe me. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Stay tuned. We have a double header with Father Rocky, his great Lenten mission close to Jesus till the last, coming up right now, followed by the family rosary across America. Jim Shaper produced. Patrick Alog took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.